you're tuned in to the Eye on Global Politics radio show. Coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley. Broadcasting around the world on eyeonglobalpolitics.com. Here's your host for the next hour, Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. And welcome to Ion Global Politics Radio. My name is Paul F.J. Ranius, and it's 12.02, and all is not well in the United States with the political situation. All is not well. Wake up, people. Wake up, people. There's a lot going on that's just not right. We got immigrants being bust from the border, as we talked about in our last show. We have uh, a political situation that just seems two sides that cannot cannot agree on anything and just are talking past each other. They're just talking past each other, and it doesn't really uh, make for a functional political system. But we have breaking news out of Russia right now in the last hour or so. Yegeny uh, Prigozhin, the Wagner boss, is listed as a passenger on a plane that killed 10. A a plane was seen falling out of the sky, uh, some reports with one wing, there are reports perhaps it could be a missile, perhaps it could be it could be a, a bomb or anything else. Uh, there, are, It's very early right now, but Prigozhin uh, is listed as one of the passengers on that plane flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg, the crash site closer to Moscow in a small, small village or town. And uh, there are two planes listed uh, as Prigozhin's. These are private planes. One landed, one didn't. Another Wagner leader was also aboard, uh, listed as being aboard of, on the plane that, that crashed. So these are very early reports. The mainstream media has picked this up, basically just repeating what the Russian media is saying. Uh, there's no independent uh, confirmation from Western press. They're going on what Western media, what, excuse me, Russian media is saying, but Yegeny Prigozhin listed as a passenger on a plane that crashed, killing all 10 aboard. New York Times, Los Angeles Times, jet crash in Russia kills 10. Officials say mercenary chief and Putin foe was on the passenger list. Wagner military group Yegeny Prigozhin was on the passenger list of a jet from Moscow to St. Petersburg that crashed, killing all aboard Russian officials say we'll see what uh, what comes out in the coming hours on on this story. Uh, as you know, Prigozhin was involved with the uprising or or coup attempt, as as the Western press puts it, um, the insurrection, the mutiny, however you you want to put it, uh, when. Some Wagner troops went to Rostov and occupied some buildings in Rostov and were making a move on Moscow. And that was two months to uh, to the day. Today will be two months since uh, Prigozhin announced that uh, that mutiny or uprising or, or whatever you want to call it, which was denounced roundly by by the Kremlin, obviously, and and supporters of the Kremlin as treasonous we'll see what comes out in the next couple hours but that's the breaking news jet crash in russia kills 10 with prigozhin on board pretty big news coming out of russia this morning 
And all the talking heads are yapping about it with the usual the usual talking heads. Uh, you have uh, McFall, the former ambassador from the U.S. to Russia on uh, MSNBC with his usual line and the former generals that seem like, why is it that we always have former generals on on uh, every station? Former military colonels and generals and and with no countervailing anti-war or alternative viewpoints. And all these security analysts are all former officials, former Pentagon officials, former military officers. And then when something like this happens, or in general, the U.S. media goes, state-run media can't be trusted in Russia, state-run media. But... Don't we have state-run media? De facto, isn't it? De facto state-run media run by corporations that also run and control Capitol Hill and and control the policy initiatives and control what gets passed and what doesn't controls the agenda in Congress. One just has to see how Congress works, the fundraising, the lobbying, that takes place on Capitol Hill, and these are the same corporations, some of the same corporations that that run the media. Is it not de facto state media here in the United States? Is it not a a de facto controlled media pretending to be this open, free press? And then on top of that, you get this revolving door of former military officials that come on and view the same lines that they were saying when they were in in the Pentagon or when they weren't retired and they're in the same club. And that'd be fine if you had a small percentage or a percentage of these people uh, counterbalanced by anti-war voices, counterbalanced by uh, voices from civil society on an equal footing, but you don't. You have overwhelmingly former officials and former Pentagon officials that really don't give you much insight they spew the same thing. It's not like they have some kind of really solid insight. I mean, most of their analysis often is wrong. As we've seen uh, time and time again in this in this Russia-Ukraine proxy war, NATO-US-NATO proxy war, much of their analysis has been completely wrong. They said Russia was going to run out of missiles. In 2022, they said it like every three months. Every three months, they said Russia's running out of missiles. And Russia never ran out of missiles. They said that Ukraine was counteroffensive, was going to take all this territory. And we said, no way. I said, no way. I said, you're, you're living in a fantasy land. And now the United States, U.S. officials are coming out and saying that Ukraine is has done their counteroffensive and and uh, and wrong, they they've misappropriated troops to the wrong areas. They did it uh, in an inappropriate, in- incorrect fashion. That they should have concentrated all their troops in the south, and instead of spreading it out to the east and the south, so they could have just cracked open three defenses, blitzkrieged right through three defenses of uh, Russian. Uh, uh, three three lines, the three belts of Russian defenses in the south to cut off the land bridge to Crimea. 
they're living in a fantasy land. This is all PR. This is all PR to spend more money on the military industrial complex and frankly kill more Ukrainian soldiers in an effort to try to hurt Russia. And they don't care about Ukraine. They don't care about Ukrainians. And the people in power in Ukraine don't care about Ukrainians. If that were the case, they wouldn't have shelled Ukraine for uh, their own people for eight years. Regardless of what people think, the people in the east of Ukraine are Ukrainians. They're they're now Russia. Now they're part of Russia. Russia's claimed them as as Russia, and, and the majority of people in the east are, are pro Russian. But for eight years, they were Ukrainians, and the regime in Kiev were killing their own people. Take a Republican head of state in a in a hypothetical situation that has an uh, uprising in California and goes after and bombs and kills thousands of Californians. Are those not are those not Americans? Just because they didn't want to live under a uh we have to take that analogy to the next level and make it work. That would be a coup government in Washington, a a coup that take t- takes place in Washington and Californians don't like it don't want to be don't want to live under a government in washington that has no legitimate democratic legitimacy and then they try to take away the language rights their language rights native language rights of of californians and uh, try to oppress californians and california said no we don't want to live on this we want more autonomy in california we want to have uh, uh, autonomy in california but still be a part of the united states and then Washington sends their military and aircraft to bombard Californians. That's the analogy. That's what happened in the Donbass. You had a coup in 2014. The people in the East didn't want to live under that illegitimate regime who who proceeded to strip their rights away to speak their own language. And, And the conflict started from there. You can't say that the Ukrainian government cares about its people because they they don't, obviously. They killed their own people for eight years. Now they're they're using them as cannon fodder in in an unwinnable war, which should stop immediately, which should have a, a ceasefire without preconditions, a ceasefire, and then move to peace negotiations. Because they're just throwing soldiers in in an unwinnable situation and uh, there shouldn't be this is nonsensical violence quite frankly and you you would like to think that governments in the west are are grown up that they have some sense of responsibility some some integrity to say look we want to save lives we want to have peace negotiations let's solve the problems once the guns put the guns down first and then we'll solve the problems but no, no, no. More weapons, more weapons. Just like a, a kid on a playground that sees it, that, that wants to instigate a fight and instigates a fight and then hands people, hands their, their, uh, their client, their friend, so-called friend, which they don't really care about, rocks and sticks and, and just keeps the fight going instead of being an adult and coming out and separating the, 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 the parties or taking their own so-called friend and say, let's put down the rock. Put down your fists. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's be an adult. 
And there's no adult in the West. There is no adult right now in the West. A bunch of juvenile, dangerously juvenile leaders. Amateurs. Amateurs. With, with an agenda. And the agenda is all about profits. It's all about profits. Because there is a winner here. And I don't mean a moral winner. It's not a moral winner. But it is a financial winner. It's the military-industrial complex and corporate America, specifically the military-industrial complex, who's raking in the profits on the backs of U.S. taxpayers. Instead of uh, money going to uh, pay teachers and give raises to teachers and nurses and to house the houseless and to help migrants coming into this country and to have a, a sane immigration system that cares for the least of these. It's business as usual. Business as usual. You ever watch some some of these business people on CNBC and uh, or, or Shark Tank? And, and quite frankly, I, I find Shark Tank, it's an interesting show. It's it's, a, it's an interesting, you know, just to, to see people offer their ideas and the feedback and everything. But what strikes me with with uh, some of the rhetoric on there that always strikes me is when they talk about margins. And you, you see someone making something for $2, and then they say, how much do you sell it for? Uh, 40 bucks. And then you see, what do you see? You see oh, claps. You get claps. Oh, wow, what a great job. You're just... Selling it for uh, 40 bucks, but making it for two bucks. And that's beyond just making a profit. That's trying to get over every bit you can. Oh, boy, boy. Give me a call at 1 877 871 Paul. 1 877 Paul. And let me know what you think. All is not well in the United States and the Western world. We need grown-ups, we need uh, real leaders that actually care about peace, that care about, that have integrity instead of what they're doing, fueling war, playing political football with migrants. I was listening to a speech by, the famous speech by Martin Luther King Jr., his Vietnam, Beyond Vietnam speech, and we have that playing here on Iron Global Politics Radio. And he said, if we don't change as a society from a thing-oriented value system to a people-oriented value system, paraphrasing, he's basically he said we're in trouble. Morally, as a society, he says, if we care more about computers and profits and things than people, then we're in trouble. He said a nation that spends more on military programs and, and militarism than programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death, Martin Luther King Jr. said. And that was in the 1960s. We're in trouble. Are we too far gone? Are we too far gone? Everything in the society is about pointing to the value system of things over people, profit over people. Huge margins, advertising, publicizing, every, everybody's selling something. 
What are you selling? I mean, most of the time when, when I see a, a connection coming in on uh, LinkedIn or something, not to, to throw throw anybody under the bus or anything, that's the wrong term, but uh, anytime I see see someone coming in on my email, 99% of the time is someone's trying to sell me something. Oh, someone wants to get in touch and give me a comment about about the program or wants to just to connect or something like that. No, it's 90% of the time is, is someone's trying to sell me something. And it's probably the same with you. Everyone's trying to make a buck. And, you know, I had recently an opportunity to have a sponsorship. I turned it down. I, I don't want advertising on this. I don't want to advertise more. We have so much advertising. Every time I click on a YouTube channel, uh, a YouTube video, I'm getting ads. I'm getting ads for for this or for that. Every time I you go on Twitter, you, anyway, you're getting sold something. And I know a lot of people are tired of of, of ads because they're they're everywhere, and it is a, a prevailing culture. It's it's the prevailing culture: sell, sell, sell. Everyone's selling something, and, and quite frankly, I mean, I, I'm tired of it. I'm not going to subject my uh, my listeners to an ad, especially a product uh, I don't care about. Perhaps in the future, if I find this great product that I think uh, makes the world a better place that I use, then perhaps. And you never want to say never. But generally speaking, I don't believe in subjecting listeners to, to an advertisement just to make money. And people say, well, you know, we got to make money. The the show has to make money. And well, you know, find another way to make money besides just hawking things and, and selling things to people, things people don't really need, things that you don't really care about. And that's the culture now. Sell everything. Everything's for sale. And I knew that going way back. I mean, we saw that coming with the the naming of sports stadiums in this country. When... They first changed uh, Candlestick Park to Three Calm Park. Thank goodness, kept it at Candlestick Point. They, and now you have Petco Field, and you have Safeco this, and Target Center, and Quicken Loans Arena. Are you kidding me? You like it's like a, the stadium. They're like walking billboards. Can't have anything. Can't go to a ball game without being sold, even at the stadium level. Corporate America has to put their print on everything. You can't just go to a ball game and go to this and this field. A nice name that the city agrees on. There are a few places left that are they're not willing to touch right now. Fenway Park, uh, Wrigley Field, because they're historic uh, or seen in a, a nationally historic light. But for locals, their ballparks have been historic. They, they, they've grown up in these going to games and things like that. And then they get the names changed on them. To uh, you know, Petco Field. So your your, your field's named after a, a dog food, uh, a, a a pet chain or Target. I don't know if there's a Walmart arena. I haven't seen that. But the point is, I mean, I mean, everything is selling, and now it's become mainstream. And Martin Luther King Jr. was now it's become normalized and accepted. And and people out there are probably like saying, "What are you complaining? It's just a name." But not long ago. 20, 20 some odd years ago, it it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal. It was like, what? You want to change the name of the stadium to to what? 
What's wrong with the name the way it is? Well, they, they want to make money. They want to sell you a giant advertisement. A giant advertisement for Petco, and they're going to put it on the stadium. Oh, boy. So Martin Luther King, I mean, are we too far gone? Now we have these debates being taking place in, in the uh, school boards, uh, in the, these, these school board meetings about critical race theory and parents up there jumping up and down about critical race theory. This has to be a, a farce. It has to be a farce. First of all, most of these people don't know what critical race theory is. Never studied it themselves, probably. I mean, mostly it's taught in law school. It's taught in law school. There's no way on earth that, even if you wanted to, that an eighth grader or most eighth graders are going to learn it anyway. I went to Catholic schools growing up. I went to public school for, for a few years, sixth, seventh grade, fifth, half of fifth, sixth, seventh grade, went to public school. Do you remember public school? The data out there says 20% of, of high school graduates think that the, that the sun revolves around the earth. Uh, one-fifth, oh, actually, it's one-fifth of, of adults that obviously graduated high school. Something like uh, 20 or 30, some figure, I forgot the figure, is uh, of high school graduates are functionally illiterate. And you think that critical race theory is going to sink in at the 8th grade level or the freshman level in high school? Let's start by teaching history. And then that's what it is. I mean, let's start by teaching real history. And that is, in essence, a lot to do with critical race theory, just acknowledging the barbarity of the, the history of the United States. You can't skirt around it. And basically, critical race theory is tying in the history to the institutions that we have in the present day. So apparently, these conservative parents, quote-unquote conservative parents, are, are all up in arms that they're making their kids feel bad. That little Johnny or little Skipper is going to feel like uh, he's be, he or she are being called an oppressor and they're going to have some kind of guilt complex or whatnot. Then that is an issue of self-esteem. If a kid can't take facts about history and facts about the current institutions and they apply it to themselves, uh, no one should be saying that a kid is an oppressor if he just he has nothing to do. A kid has nothing to do with the, the way the system is right now. A kid may be a benefactor from the system as a, a descendant of those that installed the system and benefit off the privilege, but... In no way is a kid an oppressor, but if a kid thinks that, then that's a self-esteem issue. That requires counseling and, and parental guidance. But you have these, these parents all up in arms about critical race theory, and they want to ban books and things like that. Well, go ahead, ban it. Ban books. That's, that's what I say. When it, You know why? I mean, I'm not for banning books. I believe in... in as an avid reader, I believe in letting people have access to information and to critically think. But what you do when you ban these books, uh, you just make people more curious. You make them more attractive to those to those 
students and kids, and maybe they, it takes a couple of years, but they'll start cracking open those books. Maybe it'll take them till freshman year in college, but they're going to say, man, I kind of want to read that, that book that was uh, banned in my high school because it, there wasn't anything grotesque or anything. It was just about our country, and wow, why, why would they ban that? Why would they keep that information? Just like uh, when uh, a parent uh, or, or somebody bans or prohibits uh, someone who's attracted to someone or something from, from seeing that person, that person becomes more attractive becomes unattainable or uh maybe when someone breaks up with somebody and that person is unattainable now and and off with some other person that person now is seen in a new light as more attractive because they're out of reach no longer can be taken granted for and same thing with with this you know you start to start banning and prohibiting uh books from the library and high schools well that's just going to make it more attractive Make it more attractive for students to say, I wonder what that is. I wonder what it is. And I'm talking about the high school level. I think when kids are in lower levels, they should concentrate on general principles and social skills and reading and math and get diversity training as far as general things get along like everybody. But, you know, you shouldn't be putting heavy topics on third graders or anything to do with uh, identity and things like that uh, that have been so controversial these days. I Let kids be kids and, and learn basic things, train them to be good people, and stay away from all that this other the garbage that um, some people are trying to bring down to the lower grades and indoctrinate, so to speak, uh, or it's not even indoctrination, it's just not appropriate. It's not age-appropriate, some of the things that are out there. And really not worth talking about because it's a big distraction. Uh, it's probably uh, number 99 out of 100 on a list of things that I want to talk about because I think it's so small, a small little uh, a minute subject that's been blown up to um, out of proportion. And we have bigger fish to fry in this country, quite frankly. Gonna take a break right now and give me a call at one eight seven seven eight seven one Paul. Leave me a voicemail and let me know what you think about these subjects and anything else on your mind.
Thanks for joining me. This is Paul F.J. Aranias here on Ion Global Politics Radio. We are still following breaking news out of Russia with the head of the Wagner private military company, Yegeny Prigozhin, uh, listed among the passengers scheduled to fly on a private jet which crashed on Wednesday in Russia's Tver region, which is reported by the country's Federal Air Transportation Transport Agency, which has confirmed the, the crash. The Embraer plane was flying out of Shermatova to uh, St. Petersburg. There were three crew and seven passengers on board. They all died, an official told uh, TASS, Russian news agency. The crash happened near the village of Kuzhenkino in the northwestern Tver region. Some uh, Russian outlets have identified the plane as Embraer Legacy 600 with the tail number RA. 02795, which is believed to belong to Prigozhin. However, this was not confirmed by officials. Rusovietsia, the Russian Federal Air Transport Agency, said Prigozhin's name was on the passenger manifest. Eight bodies have been recovered so far, officials told RIA Novosti. Novosti uh, Rovostaya yeah, said it established a special commission to investigate the cause and circumstances of the incident. It identified the airplane as the Embraer 135BJ private jet owned by the company MNT Aero. That's coming from Russia Today and the breaking news about uh, the Wagner boss uh, apparently killed in a plane crash. More on that to come. The mainstream media has picked this up and is running with it and commenting on it nonstop, as one would expect. And so all is not well, all is not well with politics in the United States. You have the Republican debate tonight. Am I going to watch it? I, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll watch the highlights or the replay, uh, the highlights. Definitely not going to watch the whole thing. Uh, it's not worth Really not worth the time to watch the whole thing. I know what they're going to say. Migrants are, are bad. Fentanyl. China's our adversary. Same talking points, one after the other. They're like parrots. They're just like, uh, they say the same thing over and over. They're all bought and paid for, pretty much. Politics is, it's a, it's a oligarch's game in the United States. It's a bunch of uh, millionaires or people that are in millionaire circles, uh, running, telling common people, ordinary people, working people, what they're going to do, and they never do squat. They throw a few crumbs. If they're the Democratic Party, they throw a few crumbs. They never give everyone universal health care. They never fix the homeless problem, etc. And I'm sure there's people on the, the, the right-wing spectrum that say the same thing about Republicans for their wish list of twisted wish list of negativity of building their imaginary their 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 wall or whatever that never gets finished which is these are people that are ignorant ignorant and some of them are hateful a lot of them are just hateful what are you going to do all is not well all is not well in the united states with politics so you got the republican debate tonight they're going to be just talking about um same old, same old. And you got President Biden running against Robert F. Kennedy and Jr. And Cornell West running as the Green Party. And nothing changes. Uh, it's the same old 
the system's uh, designed to lock out all other voices. It's not a not a fair playing field. They wouldn't even let Ralph Nader in the debates. I don't know if they're going to let Cornell West in the debates. I don't know if they're going to let Cornell West in the debates. Uh, you know, he's a great scholar. He's a great someone that I've followed over the years, and and I agree with most of what he has to say, except for the abortion and uh, some of the a few social issues uh, that don't jive with my Catholic philosophy, who my Catholic faith. Which, as a religious professor, I don't know why on earth he would, as a, a Christian professed Christian, why on earth he's going to be being uh, promoting abortion. So even at that level, it's unless he really believes in it, then there's a discrepancy, a basic logical discrepancy with with his Christian faith and scripture. Otherwise, it's just politics as usual. You can't be pro-life and really speak the truth as a progressive and win anything. Why? Because so many people in the electorate have had abortions, have killed their babies, quite frankly. And when you say you think you should make it a criminal act, well, good luck winning an election, but that doesn't make it wrong to say. It just makes it impossible to win an election. And so you have people that have otherwise great views and on this issue they're going to change their values and i have to think that if cornell west is a really a a, believes in his christian faith i don't see how he can come out there and and advocate for abortion with all his other good thoughts and policies on poverty on foreign policy and and things like that martin luther king jr was against abortion but he was not a politician he was a a reverend and an activist, and a leader. And you would say, well, he's progressive on against the Vietnam War for civil rights, obviously a civil rights leader, but against abortion, naturally, naturally. So I don't know how Cornel West could be, quote-unquote, pro-choice on killing, uh, killing babies in the womb uh, when... He professes to be year after year a Christian and, and someone that I've followed and, and liked for since I was in college. Listened to his speeches, liked his speeches, always thought they were you know exciting and interesting. But on this issue, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense except he's playing politics. And someone who doesn't want to be thought of as playing politics because he's all about speaking the truth uh, with love and things like that. But I don't I don't see it. I don't see it. And if he really believes that then he's got a, you know, faulty theology. He's got to reevaluate the, his theology. I knew you when you were in the womb, when I formed you in the womb. Jesus as I said Jesus was a fetus. You know, can you imagine what what the world would be like if Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was aborted or Gandhi Tolstoy, Renoir, these great leaders, Abraham Lincoln. Pick any great leader, great artist, great thing, and think of the world without them because they were aborted, because their parents thought it would be easier on them to make a living. Abortion is disgusting. It's, uh, it should be outlawed. And so for Cornel West to talk about Christianity and 
be pro-choice, quote-unquote pro-choice. I don't really like that term because I think you're not giving the baby a choice. The baby has the the right to life. And no one's asking the baby uh, anything. They're just killing the baby in the womb. And we've had a number of shows about abortion, so I encourage you to, to look up our podcast and see our Christmas podcast from last year with Jesus was a fetus on December 25th, 2022. You can find that on com under podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. We covered a number of topics from breaking news to the war in Ukraine to education, the madness and, and the education debate in this country and the consumerism and advertising that's taken over in our culture. And we really have to get back or, or not even get back to it if it ever was there, but get to a point where we're valuing people over profits and people over things. And we're not there yet. We're long ways from there as a society, but that's the goal. So I thank you for joining me, and as always, keep the faith. You're tuned in to Eye on Global Politics Radio, coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley, broadcasting around the world on eyeonglobalpolitics.com.